because I think it's one of the most profound moments uh, in, the, in the history of the Israelites. And uh, I think it has something to say to us. Start this by thinking of uh, that famous theologian and philosopher, Bob Dylan, uh, who in 1979, after he had had a, a, an experience of Christ, released a few albums, but one was called uh, Slow Train Coming. And on that album, he had a very successful hit called You Gotta Serve Somebody. And here's one of the verses. You may be an ambassador in England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's really what we're talking about this morning. We're going to have to serve somebody. Some of us serve ourselves in in the way that we live our lives. Some people serve causes and they serve parties and they serve all sorts of things that they might be engaged with but the real question is are we going to serve the lord this is an amazing moment in israel's history they're coming into the possession of the promised land it's a moment of decision and in that moment of decision comes a call and you know what that call comes to us this day as well joshua stands before the people and says now therefore revere And I want to add a little note here. That word could be fear the Lord in that sense of reverence and respect and honor. But revere and fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If you go on in this text and sort of read through it in all of its context, what you would see is that there come a number of warnings. That if you serve the Lord, these good things will happen. But if you don't serve the Lord, look out. Because there will be a lot of calamity, a lot of things that will come to you. Maybe think, you know, there are lots of warnings in this world. We have warning labels on the foods that we eat. We have warning labels, uh, you know, on other products that we buy. Uh, We have uh, warnings when we're driving on the road of traffic and those kinds of things. Driving over last night, I noticed that I was coming up um, uh, Howell Branch, or Lake Howell actually. I was coming up Lake Howell, and the bridge was out. And I had to detour. There, was a, there were all sorts of lights and warning signs going on as I was coming here last night. So this morning, I came a different way. To say that is, I think I've, I've got a list of a few of these things. There, here are some military warnings for us to consider. Uh, some useful military warnings. A few of these. One goes like this. If the enemy is in range, so are you. Look unimportant. They might be low on ammo. I like this one. Five-second fuses last three seconds. That would be good to know. I really like this one. Any ship can be a minesweeper once. And finally, from an unknown, probably rookie recruit, never tell the platoon sergeant you have nothing to do. There are all kinds of warnings out there. And we need to heed this warning this morning. That is to fear and revere the Lord in all that we do. If we don't, the consequences can be tragic. You know, we talk about the age in which we live. In many ways, I would describe it as a toxic culture. There's a lot of evil. A lot of hatred, pain, grief, tragedy, and sorrow. 
It makes us weep to think about the moral slide of our culture and also the moral slide of our nation. In other places in the Old Testament, it it sort of describes, I think, this era that we are in where we call what is evil good and everyone is doing what is right in their own mind. In recent weeks, the numerous shootings and violence against innocent people by terrorists or sociopaths, a sign of our sick and toxic culture. Do we live in unprecedented times? Actually, no. We don't. Every generation struggles. Joshua's time is no different. The people were entering a good, yet a compromised land where savage lusts are nurtured and fed. There's evil, fear, violence. There's human sacrifice. And the call is to stand apart from that that culture. The call is to put that stuff aside, to get rid of the refuse of the culture and to make this a kingdom territory, a place of God's dwelling. To become, for the people of God, to become kingdom people. Laying down my rights, leaving behind my way, surrendering to God, exchanging a broken and lost life for healing, abundance, and eternity. I love this third century Cyprian. He was a bishop of Carthage. He wrote to his friend, he said, It's an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who've learned a great secret. They have found a joy better than any of the pleasures of sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians, and I am one of them. If you've repented of your sins, if you've come to Christ and asked Him to forgive you, if you've asked Christ Jesus to come into your life and into your heart and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're one too. And there's a call for us to be different from this world, to be set apart for a different kind of life, a different way in which you live. To be, Scripture would call us a peculiar people. Maybe another word we would say when we compare ourselves to the world as Christians, we are to be weird. And we should rejoice in that weirdness. Our lives should make people sort of cock their heads and go, what's up with that? The way this person lives, the way that church and how they, they live into this community and what they bring to their places of work, to the schools that they are in, it should make people sit up and take notice. Years ago when I was ordained, I started wearing a collar, clerical collar. And you guys are used to that. This is a tradition and things like that. But I have to tell you, those moments when I step into the culture, whether it's Starbucks or Publix, and I have my collar on, guess what? People look. They stare. And you're kind of like, what's he doing here? You know, kind of thing. And, and, because, and he's supposed to be at church. You know, we don't want to see that almost. But I would say that just as a, as a picture because I've had that experience. My collar is a visible sign of my calling. And hear this. Every single one of us, whether ordained or not, should exhibit visible signs of our calling to follow Christ by the way in which we live, by the way we, we operate, by our behavior, by our actions, people should know that we're different. And so we come to a response in this passage. Joshua sort of makes his plea. 
serve the Lord? You know, or if you're not, if you're unwilling, realize these consequences. And he ends with, choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We choose. We choose to serve Almighty God. Joshua called Israel to decision, to declare their allegiance. Choose for yourselves. If in some ways, we could talk about that in, in, in some ways of making a stand. And making that stand for Christ is costly because we exclude other possibilities. I'm taken by the gospel reading, which is, would have been really easy to preach because it's one of my favorite lessons in all of the gospels. Because I see in this moment a, a sort of a, a marker moment, a moment where the disciples chose. Jesus preaches this hard word. We've been hearing it over the last few weeks. And finally, he gets to the, sort of the end of it, and people look at him and go, we can't take this. Too much. And a lot of the folks who were part of the company, we think that is anywhere from 100 to 150 people that followed Jesus everywhere he went, they turn away. And Jesus, in one of his most human moments, we would sort of say this, God, Jesus is fully God and fully man, but in a sense, touching his humanity, he turns to the twelve. He says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, in one of his best moments, says, where would we go? We're stuck. You have the words of life. You are the Holy One of God. And see, by choosing Jesus, when, they, when Jesus called them from their boats, when they chose Christ, it meant that they left their old life. And now they were on a different path. And that's sometimes the cost that's involved when we follow Christ. Choosing Jesus has cost. It's the most wonderful, exciting, fulfilling, joyful choice. The best thing you can do with your life is to choose Jesus. But also choosing Jesus means dying to self. It means sacrifice. It means surrender. It means healing and wholeness in a broken and shattered world, in a toxic culture. We are given a new and wonderful life. And we can talk about people through the centuries who have made that choice. I really love reading about the saints and martyrs who for the sake of Christ and for the love of Jesus laid down their lives. This Friday in the church calendar we'll remember Aidan who died on August 31st in 651. Bede, who was the sort of English church historian and uh, wrote a history of the church in England, writes of, of uh, Aidan and says, He neither sought nor loved anything of this world, but delighted in distributing to the poor whatever was given him by the wealthy. He traversed both town and country on foot. When he saw any, rich or poor, he invited them. And if pagans, he invited them to embrace Christ or if they were believers, to strengthen them in their faith and stir them up by words and actions to good works. Choosing Jesus looks like that. It's a life that's been transformed and changed. A life that breathes hope, breathes compassion and mercy, breathes peace in a troubled world. Go a little bit further here. What does it, how do we stand for Christ? 
when we make this choice, what does it mean to stand for Him? Well, in the epistle lesson, we find this admonition for us to stand four times. We do so in the Lord. We stand to the Lord in the strength of His might, taking on the full armor of God, standing like a soldier, alert and ready. You know, having been involved in youth ministry and children's ministry over the years, the armor of God was a sort of a constant metaphor we would go to. And we would teach kids to pray, and I think everyone should do this, to put, when you wake up, to put on the full armor of God. You know, the breastplate of righteousness, truth, girded up by truth, shoes prepared to share the gospel. We can talk about the helmet of salvation. We could talk about the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. Notice that all of this armor is offensive. There's nothing really covering the back. That means we're to go forth into the world as soldiers for the kingdom of God to do battle. I've been recently in a Bible study that I'm a part of on Tuesday mornings, and they've been doing Nehemiah. And I really love this picture because I think it speaks to the posture of a follower of Jesus in this world. Nehemiah has the charge to rebuild, after the exile to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem to make Jerusalem a safe place by giving it a sure defense. And there's opposition to this work. But in that opposition, Nehemiah places people on the wall with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. That's a beautiful picture of how we to take a stand for Christ. A sword to defend and to fight for the kingdom and a trowel to build up, to encourage and to make something new and wonderful in this world. Not only do we stand in Christ in the, in, his, in the strength of His might, not only do we stand in the armor of God, but we stand in prayer and in the promises of God's Word. We proclaim the Gospel, the good news. We stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. We stand in Christ as children bought with the price of His shed blood. We stand bathed in mercy, kindness, compassion, grace, peace, and love. It starts with the decision. The call comes to us this day. Who are you going to serve? You've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Choose this day who you will serve. There was a popular wedding song uh, back in the era when a lot of my friends were getting married in the early 80s. And uh, I sang it actually at a couple of weddings and it was sung when Beth and I got married. And it's based on this passage from Joshua simply goes, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord now and forevermore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He'll be our God. We'll be His people. We will love Him. We will obey Him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Under His wings, we'll find our peace. Choose. Choose this day. Who will you serve? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Let us stand and confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, from God, true God from true God, begotten not made. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world.